joined by Sarah Lee, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. As state legislatures convene in what is likely to be a competitive federal election year, what can states do to ensure their elections are fairly conducted? Jason Sneed of the Honest Elections Project joins us to discuss his organization's recommendations for safeguarding U.S. elections. Jason, I think we had you on before to talk about H.R. 1 in the last Congress, so uh, welcome back. Well, it's good to be back. And yeah, there's always something new to talk about in this space, especially in an election year. So your organization, Honest Elections Project, put out a uh, put out a report, uh, Safeguarding Our Elections, Critical Reforms to Secure Voter Integrity and Rebuild Confidence in American Elections. Uh, what, what do you guys want to see uh, out of states to um, improve the way that elections are handled? Well, you know, states should always be looking for ways to make it easier to vote, but also harder to cheat. That is the winning formula that not only guarantees that you have elections that you can trust, but that by inspiring confidence actually encourages people to vote, which is why you see in states like Georgia and Florida and others that pursue policies that bolster confidence through greater security, you actually see high turnout, which runs completely counter to uh, to what we hear voices on the left always saying, where they smear laws like voter ID and, and clean voter rolls and so forth as voter suppression. And yet when those laws get passed and people have greater trust in elections, more people actually wind up voting. So we're always looking for new ways to push the ball forward in terms of making it easier to vote and harder to cheat. And that's what this new report is all about. It's about identifying the winning uh, right policies that actually secure elections and uh, and will improve the voting process for everyday Americans. So what are, what are some of those policies that, that you guys are recommending? Well, we've got a whole menu of options here, and in an ideal world, I think states should adopt every single one of them. We've identified 14 discrete buckets that impact everything from the way that people get registered to the way that they cast a ballot. Do they vote in person? Do they vote by mail? Uh, bringing greater security to uh, particularly the mail voting process. And then what distinguishes this report from a prior version that we put out a couple of years ago are the new things that have come out in the fight over election integrity. We were very proud of the fact that the first version of this report that we put out in 2021 is as good a template as any other for getting some of the key things right about elections. How do you prove identity? How do you make sure that you prevent illegal vote trafficking and so forth? But we also saw over the last two years, new things come up in this uh, in this space that we wanted to make sure were incorporated in this new version of the report. So we've seen a nationwide push for ranked choice voting. We've seen the left attempt to mainstream the idea of non-citizens voting in our elections. You know, two years ago, our nation's capital did not enfranchise non-citizens and illegal immigrants to vote, and yet that's where we are. And we've also seen massive infusions of foreign money into left-wing political advocacy and even financing election administration potentially through new programs like the U.S. Alliance for Election Excellence. So we wanted to incorporate all these new fights with new policies that are designed to improve and strengthen the voting process. So let's talk it, uh, about some of those new those new issues. Start with the U.S. Alliance for Election Excellence. Is that what it's called? 
That's right. This is the Zuckbuck 2.0 program. So to rewind the clock a little bit for anyone that doesn't know what we're talking about when we talk about uh, Zuckbox or Zuckerbox, depending on what the nomenclature is. Um, this was a program unlike any other. In 2020, you had Mark Zuckerberg give half a billion dollars of his personal fortune to two left-wing nonprofits. The Center for Tech and Civic Life got the majority of that money, $350 million, that they then dispersed as election grants to thousands of election offices across the country. And they told everyone at the time, and we've heard this fiction repeated as recently as today in the U.S. House of Representatives, that this was all about making sure that election offices could buy the masks and gloves that they needed, the PPE, to keep uh, voting safe. In actuality, only about 1% or 2% of those funds was actually spent on what they told us it was supposed to be spent on. And it actually wound up most of those funds going to things like partisan get-out-the-vote strategies being run from within government offices. So as we learned more about this program, as we saw how disproportionate the funds were, how they were dispersed to areas that voted for Joe Biden um, uh, at a much greater per-voter value than in places that voted for Donald Trump, states started banning Zuckbucks. No more private election financing. And actually today, about 30 states have those laws in place. So almost immediately, the Center for Tech and Civic Life, that nonprofit that was running this program, came up with a new thing, an $80 million program called the U.S. Alliance for Election Excellence that was designed to get around those bans. So they're now active in a number of states, and they're looking for new ways to push politics and to influence election administration and weaponize that process for partisan gain. So how do, how does how does it work? I guess the um, you know the the U.S. Alliance for Election Excellence is again exists to at least in part to get around these restrictions on the old fashioned Zuckbucks. What what are they doing with their with their money now? Well, right now, what they're doing is uh, is recruiting local election offices to join this program. And by joining the program, you pay a membership fee. That membership fee then gets converted into credits, and those credits can be used to purchase services from not just the Center for Tech and Civic Life, but some of its other left-wing nonprofit allies. So we know, for instance, that other organizations like the Elections Group, the Center for Secure and Modern Elections, the Institute for Responsive Government, they're all offering themselves as consultants on election administration. They're all founded and funded by the left. They are all pushing left-wing politics, and they have a left-wing agenda. And um, what we're seeing is that the alliance is essentially creating an opportunity to surround election offices and to influence every aspect of their election administration. If you are living in a state that does not have a Zuckbuck ban in place, then we are also seeing a return to the 2020 strategy of just dumping massive amounts of money. So, for instance, in Nevada, where there is no protection against private uh, election funding, what we're seeing is millions of dollars going into Clark County. That's Las Vegas. Uh, Clark County County is notorious for having sloppily run elections. So to call them not just a center for election excellence, but then to reward them with millions of, of dollars in free money is absurd, but it shows you exactly what this program is, is trying to do. It's highlighting areas with a large amount of principally left-wing turnout and then trying to weaponize election administration for the benefit of the left. Uh, Sarah? Uh, hi, thanks, Mike. Um, hi, Jason. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I have a couple questions about 
<clears throat> what you mentioned in terms of the new things, um, there's kind of a, if you'll pardon the vernacular, there's a little bit of a vibe out there that, um, you know, sort of law, nothing matters. Uh, my vote doesn't, you know, count. Um, people after watching some of the hijinks uh, from the 2020 election um, are kind of like, what's the point of voting? And then when you mention things like, you know, uh, there are certain places where maybe they're going to let non-citizens vote. I think that there's this belief that what's the point? So I'm curious, um, you, this report that you've put out, it does highlight in great fashion many things that I know uh, people are working on. I'm wondering what's been done prior to the 2024 election that that's going to matter to people when they hear it. They go, oh, and it might encourage them to vote. And is there still time to implement some of these things before 2024 or the next midterm election? Well, the answer to that question is absolutely yes. Uh, there is more than enough time for state legislatures to step forward and start tackling some of these questions. And we've actually uh, put together a few of these in what we call an election year agenda. When you're passing election reforms in an election year, you always want to be careful for various reasons about disrupting the election process. You know, this is one of the things that we actually saw the left do in 2020. They filed hundreds of lawsuits to rewrite all of our voting laws on the fly and they caused chaos. And they didn't care because for them, winning the election was everything. So once the dust settled, as long as they came out on top, they were fine, even if they sowed the seeds of doubt, even if they caused massive confusion, even if they made uh, election administration into a nightmare. We don't want to replicate what the left does when we're talking about promoting election integrity. But there are some things that you can do that will meaningfully improve the security and transparency of elections without disrupting election administration. So what are those things? Well, I'd say first, ban ranked choice voting. This is a new thing that we're seeing pushed all over the place to fundamentally reshape the way that you run elections. Instead of voting for one person, you're now ranking multiple candidates. This is a great way to exhaust voters and to get your vote thrown out, uh, but it is being pushed by the left all over the country. They are lobbying for this. They are pushing ballot measures for this. It's designed to push politics to the left and to empower left-wing mega donors like George Soros to give him more influence over American politics. So you can ban ranked choice voting from the outset and ensure that you've got clear, consistent voting laws within your state. Another thing you can do is ban Zuckbucks 2.0. There is no reason that that program should be allowed to influence or push politics into election administration in an election year. And actually right now we're watching several states push legislation. Indiana's House has actually passed the first legislation tackling Zuckbuck 2.0 in the country and we're watching other states step forward to try to do that this year. Uh, third, you can bring audits. Process audits to elections so that after we're done voting this year, you go back and you make sure that your state's voting laws were followed, that processes were adhered to, and that problems are identified so that next year, when we come back and look closely at what went right and what went wrong, we've got good data and we can use that to inform new rounds of election reforms. And then you can also ban non-citizen voting. That is absolutely something that every state should do, and they should be putting this in their constitutions. Many constitutions say any citizen can vote, which sounds fine and up until the last few years was perfectly fine. But the left has since realized that any does not mean only, and they are eager 
to get non-citizens voting in our local elections before they start pushing this statewide and eventually for federal races. So a single word change in a state's constitution can box that out. And 77% of Ohio voters and 72% of Louisiana voters just did that in 2022. There is plenty of time to pass that reform and get that on the ballot for November of this year. But that is the agenda that we've got. And uh, and then the last thing I'll mention is cutting out foreign funding in elections too, particularly when it comes to ballot measures. You know, it's ironic that the left has screamed about foreign influence over elections while they take hundreds of millions of dollars from a Swiss billionaire named Hans-Jörg Wies, and his money is getting pumped into the Arabella Advisors Network that is then spending hundreds of millions of dollars to influence politics and to rewrite election laws here in the United States. They should be tackling that as well. And if you do that, you're making huge progress on secure elections without disrupting election administration. So how, when uh, you guys propose these sorts of reforms, uh, what sort of pushback are, do you get from the other side? Uh, how do they justify in other than, you know, we're Democrats or we're the left and we want to win? Like, how, do, how do they justify the changes that they want to make? That you guys are trying to stop. Well, you know, we sure let's 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 take um, uh, private election financing for instance. Um, they will insist until they are blue in the face that uh, that CTCL is a nonpartisan organization and that the financing that is being distributed to states, the influence campaign that is being orchestrated against states, has nothing to do with partisanship and has everything to do with just helping elections be well run. And, and, you know, that is disingenuous on its face. I mean, we even have uh, Philip Bump over at the Washington Post writing columns now admitting that what happened in 2020 was essentially a partisan GOTV operation. It encouraged underrepresented minorities to vote. And as we know, that's essentially lingo for targeting uh, uh, left-leaning and Democratic voters. So now they're admitting that, but they will still insist that what CTCL is doing is all about uh, nonpartisan um, uh, election administration assistance. So they will disguise that, but we all know what's, what's really going on. On non-citizen voting, now, this is a very delicate issue for the left, actually. Uh, the Washington Post editorial board slammed the, the, the city council here in Washington, D.C. for enfranchising non-citizens and illegal immigrants um, because they said it was a blatant attempt by the city council to push politics to the left. And when you're, you know, when you've lost the editorial board of the Washington Post, I think that ought to be a big red flag that you have, you have completely jumped the shark. But they pushed this forward anyway, and now non-citizens can indeed vote in the District of Columbia in the nation's capital. Um, but what we're seeing with non-citizen voting, they will say that this is about making sure that everyone who has a stake in the outcome of local races is able to uh, is able to participate, but it's actually about just changing who can vote so you change the outcome of the elections and you push politics to the left. So they have lots of different talking points that they use, but I think that for the most part, people are smart enough to see through that. And, uh, and, and I think that when you actually ask people on the merits what they want to see in terms of election reforms, it looks a lot more like what's in our report than what the left is trying to push on states across the country. Uh, can I jump in here, Mike? Absolutely. <clears throat> I'm interested uh, in uh, something that I know Jason, I've heard him talk about this before, um, sort of the lawfare after the fact or even before the fact um, that I think you guys are predicting might happen where there's going to be this push from the left to do, they did a little bit of it prior to 2020, but they might ramp it up to try to change 
you know, local laws um, to incorporate some of the, you know, uh, I don't know, gaming into the system. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Um, well, sure. I mean, the, the left is is always looking for ways to change uh, election administration for partisan gain. And sometimes that's going to be at the, the very local level. They'll push, for instance, ranked choice voting into local races. They'll push non-citizen voting into uh, into local elections. They normalize things and then they expand. It's never enough, right? It's, it's like the old adage, uh, give a mouse a cookie, they want a glass of milk. Except here, the strategy is they want the glass of milk, so they know that they need to start with the cookie first, and then eventually they'll get there. It's never an organic process with the left. They know what they want elections to look like. They want it to be a sloppy, incoherent, insecure mess so they, that so allows how do, how folks do they, like – How do they want it to look? If, they, if, they, if this is all you know, to, a, to a plan, where, where would, the, uh, would the progressive movement want it to go? Well, I think that uh, if you want to know what elections in an ideal, you know, left wing vision look like in in, say, you know, five years, I think it would look like uh, you've got ranked choice voting for all elections in the United States. It looks like non-citizens voting. It looks like 16 year olds voting. Um, it looks like felons voting, including from prison cells, which is something that we are seeing pushed more and more aggressively. Um, the left is trying to mainstream the idea that you should never lose the right to vote, even if you are guilty of rape and murder, even if you are voting by mail ballot in your prison cell. And the mail ballot piece of this is another big aspect of the left's push. They would love to have all mailed elections where everyone is getting uh, automatically registered to vote. You are never getting taken off the voter rolls and you are getting a ballot every single election. They want legal vote trafficking so that they know when you get your ballot by mail and then they can go you know, door to door in targeted neighborhoods and they can send partisan activists and organizers out to assist you, quote unquote, in filling out that ballot and returning it so that they make sure that they've got that, that beautifully you know, greased pipeline of, uh, of ballots to you and then ballots back in. It's a very machine politics type system. And they also want to get rid of voter identification laws or even signature matching laws, which is the very basic way that you prove identity. So there is no friction between their uh, GOTV engine and winning elections. That's what they want it to look like. And that is an incredibly insecure system that looks very different than what uh, elections look like today. And they will accomplish that however they need to. So if they want to go to courts and get judges to rewrite election laws, they will do that. If they can get state legislatures to do it, they will work with state legislatures. And if they ever get a majority of uh, control in Congress and a uh, Democrat in the White House, they may well attempt to blow up the, the Senate filibuster and push a federal takeover election of elections like what we saw them try to do for two years um, uh, during the, the, the first part of the Biden administration. So that's the vision that they've got. And I think that it is wildly out of step with what most Americans want in terms of well-run, secure elections that give them confidence in the outcome. That's that's really scary. Can we can we sort of end this on a positive? Um, it sounds like you know I, I would imagine groups like Honest Elections Project wouldn't be working on these things if they didn't think they could accomplish making sure some of these things don't happen. So. How do we kind of convey that, you know, things are getting done? I know I've kind of already asked this, but I think it is really important in terms of getting people out to vote, which is how I think we stop this, right? So how do you end this on a positive note with all those scary things that sound like they're disrupting election administration, which is, um, you know, a term you keep using? Um, 
what do we tell people? Like, you should still vote. Why? Well, I think that we always need to remember that it is important to uh, to get out and it is important to vote. That is the way that we make our voice heard in the uh, the democratic process here. That is absolutely the basic way to do things. And you know, I always say if you're if you're mad enough to go to a rally, if you're mad enough to uh, uh, to to send messages to your lawmakers, you should be you know you should be able to get out and vote as well. Um, but look, I mean, we've had tremendous success as a conservative movement over the last four years, not just in beating back the bad policies from the left, but advancing the ball towards good conservative election policies. Look at the successes that we have won in Georgia, in Florida, in Texas, Ohio, Iowa, all these states that passed good election integrity laws that have then led to elections since those laws went into effect that everyone has to call smooth and well-run. Presidential level early voting in Georgia, despite their supposed you know Jim Crow 2.0 voting laws and so forth. So we've had tremendous success, and we know that we are plugging holes and we are 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 preventing problems because the left is spending millions of dollars on lawsuits trying to get courts to throw those laws out. That's how you know that you are having success. It's like the old adage: if you're taking flack, you're over the target. That's how we know those laws are working, and that's how we know that those laws are making a difference. So, you know, the, the optimistic note here is that even though the, the left is Goliath and the, the right is David, we know that David eventually wins that fight. And what we have done at Honest Elections in terms of polling on public perceptions of election integrity shows us that we are indeed winning this fight. I mean, just a few years ago, voter ID support was 77%, which was already extraordinarily high. Today, we're at almost 90% support for showing a photo ID, including huge majorities of Democrats, Republicans, Black, Hispanic, White. The only people who don't think you should have to show photo ID at this point are the people who are writing the checks to the left-wing nonprofits. That's it. We are winning with the people. We are winning on the messaging. We are winning on the issues. And I think that it is worth taking note of the successes that we have seen over the last few years. We've got a lot to be proud of. And I think that when Americans go to vote, they're going to recognize that those safeguards are important and they are crucial to making it both easier to vote but also harder to cheat. Okay, great. It looks like Mike has dropped out. I don't know what happened there, but we're probably about to uh, wrap up anyway. So Jason Sneed of Honest Election Project, thank you so much for joining us. Is there anything else you'd like to promote well, before we let you go? I appreciate the time, and I hope that everyone will keep uh, checking us out. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Honest Elections. Take a look at the report. It's got a lot of information in there in terms of what we think in a, a good and well-run election system looks like. And also you know, keep track of all the things that we're doing because we're active at the state level, and this is an election year. There's going to be litigation. There's going to be ballot measures. There's going to be laws that are getting changed. There's a lot going on. And I hope that folks just stay engaged. And then, as you said, I hope when uh, push comes to shove, they get out and they vote. Thank you. And Mike right. is back. Take us home, Mike. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again to uh, Jason Seed of Honest Elections Project for joining us. We will include a link to Honest Elections Project's report, Safeguarding Our Elections, Critical Reforms to Secure Voter Integrity and Rebuild Confidence in American Elections in today's show notes. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you, and please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review.